funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Welcome back to the Silver Screen video with Jonathan and Jacob. You know, I've never introduced like that before. I kind of like that because I, I say your name to introduce us, then it cuts out the fact that I have to throw it back to you at some point. So it's better for everyone. Yeah, Anyway, totally. how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really notice a difference, um, mainly because I'm just kind of zoned out, you know? Whenever- There's no reason to tell the listeners that. It's hurtful to me and the listeners. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I was paying attention. Um, but uh, how's it going in New York today? I'm good, man. Um, you know, it's a typical day here in the big city. The uh, rain that's going to wash away the filth on the streets hasn't come yet, but I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, I just want to say this real quick, and we normally keep it all business over here on this and because it's not the Patreon. Speaking of which, where can they go for the Patreon? <laughs> Good plug there. Uh, Patreon.com slash silver screen video. We got silver small screen video. We got silver, silver screen after dark. Go back and check that episode out. We released a Patreon preview a couple of weeks ago. Check it out if you haven't to see if it's something that interests you. But as I was saying, we uh, we typically keep things all business, but I want to point out the weird like situation we have here. Typically, it is me in Florida worrying about storms destroying my livelihood. But I thought it was interesting. We've avoided several storms over the past month going to various different places. But uh, New England and all up there in the on the East Coast in the corner uh, got hit with a tropical storm with some flooding and New York got some of it. And I think that is really bizarre. So I just wanted to point that out. I'll tell you, you know, it was actually a hurricane by the time it hit. Um, it was? I thought, oh, okay. I didn't know that. I thought it was a tropical storm. Hurricane uh, uh, Henry, but French. Henry. Henri, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I, uh, now I just want to say like Henri. I, I think that's uh, what literally what it was, wasn't it? Like it was like, it was like Henry with just an I. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. It's kind of weird because like <clears throat> Manhattan is like surrounded by water. But, like, we're pretty insulated from the Atlantic Ocean by some of the, like, surrounding islands and stuff. So, I mean, like, closer to, like, the, the like, on Long Island, I guess, apparently, like, flooding was pretty bad and stuff. But, like, I mean, where I am, like, I'm far enough uptown that, like, it, there was, it was just a pretty, like, hardcore rain. And, like, that was about it. It really wasn't bad at all. That is good. Yeah, I'm glad you guys didn't lose power or anything. I heard it was uh, it was flooding in a lot of places, a lot of people without power. So, yeah, it's I mean, literally Manhattan is like, you know, completely like barricaded from, you know, because I mean, you know, like in Florida, you're used to like, well, the ocean like it's just right there, you know. And um, but yeah, no, it wasn't too bad at all. Well, now that we got that out of the way, let's get to our director today. Uh, we are not doing a volume two. Today, we are doing a volume one of Mr. Brian De Palma. Now, this was my pick, and I don't really know why I picked it. And I don't mean oh, that in like a, I don't, I don't really mean it in like a, oh, fuck, Brian De Palma. I don't know why the fuck I picked him. I mean it in like, um, it was just kind of a weird choice because like we've been doing a lot of classic directors, foreign directors lately. 
So, but for some reason, Brian De Palma, who I've always liked, and I've seen most of his films, and I thoroughly enjoy his style, especially his earlier style, you know, that that stopped. I, you know, I can't really say I've I've loved a lot of what he's done, like post two thousand, but there was a lot. He's done a lot of shit that I that I fucking love early in his career and mid career. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to talk about. I love talking about directors that did a lot of great work in the seventies and early eighties, because the movie world was so different then, because as we've discussed on the podcast a lot, um, the seventies is kind of a dark period for film. Like not like it's just kind of a, it's kind of a weird spot for movies. So it's just interesting to to kind of see it. I think you have to be a gen X guy to really get, the 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 cinema from the 70s to really be you know because i've been reading um uh former guest uh nick pinkerton's uh substack quite a bit he talks a lot about uh 70s cinema and I, i really truly think it's a generational thing but specifically gen x um you know just a little bit older than us um because like i know we've talked about it many times before where like the seventies, the vibes just feel off, you know, like the French connection, I think is a a fantastic movie. I actually watched it recently, but like just the whole vibes of it are just like, I don't know. I either want classic Hollywood or I want like post eighties nonsense, you know? Um, and, uh, it's a weird time. So I feel like it's, I feel like it's just a generational gap thing, but it was really fun going back and watching, um, uh, two, well, I guess just one, but, uh, but one movie that certainly felt like it was uh, the seventies uh, blowout. So, oh, I guess we should say which one, which movie oh, we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah, we are today. We are talking about Sisters from nineteen seventy two, Blowout from nineteen eighty one. But as you've just pointed out, it feels like a seventies movie. It mm. really does. Uh, Carlito's Way from nineteen ninety three. And guys, I know we've typically been talking about three films. For some reason, I don't know why. My co-host wanted to talk about four. I didn't fight him on it. And we got stuck watching Femme Fatale. Now, I will say this. For all the Femme Fatale fans out there, I apologize in advance for what I'm going to say about that when we get to it. Um, But that is from 2002. No explanation for why it's here. But here we are. Um, You did pick Sisters, though. And I got to give you props for that. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I had never seen Sisters. Really fun movie. So... Yeah, Sisters has been a Criterion lease, uh, Criterion release going back to the DVD days, and um, yeah, I, I, I've never seen it and always always wanted to, and so I was like, "Fuck it, let's do it." You know, Femme Fatale it seems to be uh, De Palma's most well received post '90s movie, or I guess I should say even post Untouchables movie would probably be the better way to put it. And so I don't know. I thought it would be. Um, I thought it would be fun to uh, to throw a, a you know a late De Palma in there, but you know no, I mean I, I no I, I think that I think that's I mean it's in theory that's a great idea, um, <laughs> but I do want to say it's well, funny you say that. <laughs> what <laughs> I'm just gonna say I mean you bitched enough about it that I regret it, so uh, you know. <laughs> oh, I haven't even begun. To <laughs> I haven't bitch. even begun to bitch. Um, so. No, it's interesting. You know, I did. I don't know if you read David Thompson's insert about De Palma, but he literally said, and I quote, there are no good scenes in the bonfire of the vanities, which I found (laughs) to be amusing. Um, But there's a lot of movies I have. There's a lot of movies in the 90s. Not a lot. There's like three 
that I would fight for in terms of how people view them. Um, I still think his original Mission Impossible is great. Oh yeah, I, I will. De- I will defend Snake Eyes. I thought Mission to Mars was a very interesting sci-fi film. So we're going to do a volume two, obviously probably a volume three. We haven't decided yet. We'll dig into the essence of De Palma a bit more, but for now we're going to focus on these four and, uh, and yeah, do you just kind of just want to get started talking about, uh, talking about sisters and just kind of De Palma in general? Yeah, sure. I, um, I do want to mention that there are some seventies and eighties heavy hitters. We're we're also missing though. Um, Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, dress to kill and body double. I mean, there are, and there are others, uh, but those are probably the two main ones. But I also want to like, I, we don't even really have to talk about them, but I do just want to mention them briefly along the way as we're going through like these movies chronologically. Um, I just want to briefly mention Carrie and um, Scarface, obviously. Uh, we've talked. Well, of about course, we're going to talk. Of course, we're going to talk about Scarface. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about those before. Obviously, Scarface is one of your favorites. And we talked about Carrie on, uh, I don't know, one of our horror movie episodes a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I just kind of want to mention those in passing as we're going through, but, um, but yeah, uh, start with sisters, man. I, I'd never seen it and, uh, you hadn't either. And, uh, I don't know, man, this, <laughs> I fucking loved it, man. This is a great movie. This movie was just a whole lot of awesome in terms of seventies. Yeah. Like you get so like everything, dude, first of all, the blood, and the late sixties and seventies that they used, you know, a lot of it was being shown in like Italian horror films, like mm-hmm. in the late sixties, a lot of exploitation films, or I should say sexploitation films like to do with the whole, with the horror movement. The blood is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck it is. I'm sure it's like corn syrup and something else. I don't know. Um, but the blood in this movie is fantastic. But before we get to that, I do want to say it is about a small time reporter who tries to convince the police. She saw a murder and the apartment across from hers. And I feel like a little bit that synopsis is burying the lead because that is part of it. <laughs> but- yeah, but the but she doesn't like the the ostensible like main character doesn't show up until about uh 30 minutes into a 90 minute movie, you know? Um Yeah, which is which is weird. Another thing about this movie, short and sweet. Like this was the sweet spot of like, let's get this shit started. You get your first kill in the first 15 minutes in a very surprising manner. Now, this isn't like a slasher, so we're not saying like there's a there's like a necessarily a kill count per se, but there is a murder, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then yeah, that your main your your main character shows up, yeah, around the 30, 35 minute mark. But man, that first kill was it really set you up to be. I mean, I, I we've talked about it off pod, but very shocking, uh, very <laughs> grotesque. Yeah, it's um <clears throat> I mean, I think we should say just to frame it in general, this is, you know, this is a 70s like exploitation movie um, in, I guess, in the macro. Right. Like this is this is this is the kind of, you know, the the original producers of this movie, when they gave De Palma money to make this, this is what they were wanting, you know, kind of quick and dirty exploitation movie in the 70s. And that's largely what it is. It's just a really fucking good version of it. Like the the shocks and thrills and spills and chills are really really fun that like you said that first kill who it's a doozy man it literally like you know i feel like i'm desensitized but like when it happened i was legit like oh shit like 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's it's really interesting setup because like it's a fairly easy plot, so we can just touch on it real quick. These these two people meet on a game show and then they go on a date and Margot Kidder is is um the this the the person he's on a date with. And um anyway, they sleep together and he wakes up the next morning and you hear her arguing with with her sister. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, my sister, she's so mean and blah, blah, blah. And he like goes out to buy him a cake because it's her birthday. It's their, it's their birthday because they're twins. And uh, dude, I, I, I thought I wasn't sure if I was off the mark on this, but then I read the David Thompson insert and I was like, well, maybe I, I wasn't off the mark because I think he validated it a bit. Um, this is very Hitchcockian. I think this is like De Palma's like Hitchcockian swing, if yeah. you will. Um, so anyway, he comes back with a cake and that's when the kill happens. She's in the bed and he tries to wake her up and she just lunges out with a fucking knife. Yeah. Stabs him in. And what's that? What's the name of that artery that's in the inside of your leg? Um, uh, yeah, cause that's where the moral artery. Yeah. Cause that's where she gets him. And yeah. then a beautiful shot of the shadow, like his silhouette and she fucking stabs him in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is brutal. It's a great fucking scene. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah that shadow shot, man. Yeah, it's just a, a knife to the face, basically. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, De Palma Dude, is. Do, de- do you do you love? I'm sorry, you can go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, do you love or hate? Because I know this isn't something. I don't think you can feel too neutral about it. Do you love the side by side that he does, not just in this, but also in Blowout? Like, do you like that style? Because I fucking love it. I think the split screen is incredible. I really do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Especially when, like, you know, I, I mean, you know, we, we, we've talked about Hitchcock a lot on this pod, and De Palma is a Hitchcock worshiper, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he 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 just he just the the close ups on the eyes and the way that he structures the suspense and the. Um, the shocks and everything. Um, it's really, really Hitchcockian. In fact, Hitchcock was making movies at this time. And in the Criterion essay, the the author mentions, um, I don't know the author's name uh, right offhand, but they mention um, that like, this is the kind of movies that people wished Hitchcock was making at the time period. And instead, Hitchcock was on some completely different shit making, you know, kind of uh, really droll British comedies, you know, about uh, jewel thieves and stuff. Um, and yeah, this movie, it, it is, it's like a Hitchcock movie in 1972. And I think the split screen thing is such a great innovation because the first time we get introduced to it on like the left side of the screen is them cleaning up the murder. And on the right side is, um, like the woman, the reporter going with the police to try to get in the building. So, I mean, it's like, it's nothing but a suspense mechanism. Like it's a, it's, it's a tool to build suspense. And instead of, you know, doing the classic um, thing that DW Griffith invented cross cutting, which is like, you know, the obvious uh, way to do it. He just gives you both of them at the same time, which I think is, I think it's great. I think it works perfectly. I don't know why more people don't do this. You know, I mean, me either. Like it was such a great way to tell a story while not like overwhelming the audience, but mm-hmm. also you avoid having to split it off for exposition with her going to the cops. Right. Like 
you're seeing both stories played out in a non-confusing way and it were it just works so much better because the alternative would have been while they're cleaning up the body because we're assuming they are as the viewer you then follow her she she calls the cops she meets the cops downstairs she's explaining they get to the room and then like you're just like oh i guess they got it all cleaned up but you witness the entire ordeal, which I thought was it, was, it was fucking fantastic. I, I loved that split screen. Yeah, it creates more suspense, I think, which is the goal, you know, here. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I think De Palma is, um, you know, is having a blast here. And I think um, the way that he structures just the whole thing, it's just, um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, this generation of, of filmmakers in the 70s, you know Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola. You know these these people worshipped at the the altar of the masters. You know Bogdanovich. You know people like that. And um, they they take the lessons learned and they 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 run with them. You know, uh, well Scorsese is obviously included in that group. And uh, yeah, it's fucking great, man. It, it's a great thriller. And there's some real humor in it. You know, there's um, the very beginning. I think is really funny. Uh, the game show and all that where the <laughs> the blind woman is undressing in the locker room and the guy, you know, the guy's watching her and not sure whether he, he you know, you're, he's going to uh, tell her that she's in the long, wrong locker room or not. And uh, the guy who is, uh, I forget the name, Danielle's uh, ex-husband is really cartoonish and kind of like a john waters type and he, he falls so fucking creepy dude <laughs> do you remember when he falls in the uh in the split screen whenever he's trying to clean oh, up yeah. he just yeah. fucking eats it like <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny man it's uh i don't know this is a great movie i loved it well you know it's interesting because in this and in blowout we basically get like a false start because mm. This starts with a game show and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then with with blowout, you know, it starts with them like watch like you're basically in a horror movie. Like you're you're a you're a killer in a horror movie and it's Mm -hmm. fucking perfect. But we'll get to it. I just love that aspect. I feel like his style greatly changed. Obviously, I don't obviously it evolved, but like not even not even like we're not even talking about late 80s early 90s we're talking about from blowout to two years later to scarface yes i mean his style was incredibly different with those two films um so but with sisters uh the ending is fucking crazy it Mm. it is a it is so bizarre but um, you know it's my favorite thing about 70s movies and 70s movies definitely have a style and i think that style is because, like you said, these directors all worshipped these guys that were just fucking duct taping shit to get it done. Like mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a very cheap way of doing it, a very amateurish way of doing it. And I think that's why so many movies in the seventies are great because of this trashy aesthetic. And that's not meant to be disparaging. It's yeah. just it, it's a it's a really nice feel. I love the way seventies movies are shot. The way he moves the camera, I believe um, Blowout was the first movie he used a Steadicam in. Mm. Um, so, but we'll, we'll talk about that with Blowout, but I thought that was interesting. Um, but anyway, dude, he clearly does not give a shit about like 
like the characters in this movie. I, I love it. Like he doesn't care. Like it, the, the movie ends with the doctor being dead and the main character being fucked up. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about any of it. Like this is like, if you were looking for a satisfying ending, you walked into the wrong theater <laughs> in 1972. Um, yeah, it's just great, man. It was such a, such a fucking weird movie. I mean, the footage they showed and the way he brainwashed her, that was some eerie shit, dude. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It, it, like, there's just so much that goes on. Like, the there's so much to like and admire about this, like, from, like, a genre perspective of just, like, yeah, you got that, that, and there's not one nightmare sequence. There's two nightmare sequences, but, like, oh, yeah, the nightmare sequences are also flashbacks. All, you know in a weird way and the way that he films those is so fucking creepy and then you've got the <laughs> the way that the knife is paraded around it's like some kind of ritual and um and then you've got uh her like i, I still don't even actually know what the plot was like there's some kind of weird transference thing where like she turns into her twin whenever she's sexually aroused and then the reporter turns into that and then that's it and then you know and of course the ending i, I don't even want to i don't even want to spoil that ending because just that last shot was so perfectly just hitchcockian and hilarious and that motherfucking private investigator just <laughs> just following the MacGuffin to the ends of the earth uh Oh man, it was great. What a great movie. That's, I mean, you know, what did you say? I'll be honest with you. I didn't understand shit. Really? (laughs) Like, I, I don't know. Like, like in terms of trying to follow the story, I don't really know. Like, like there's an, I have like, obviously there's the base of what you can follow, but the rest of it's really weird. Like Jesus, that medication's really important. Like you do not want to miss a dose. (laughs) Um, there's just some weird shit in this movie that I just feel kind of just leaves you hanging. And I kind of love that. Well, Um, I, I, I think, so is there a twin or, or is it like, uh, the, the twin was, was killed whenever he was trying to do an abortion on her. Right. Like, I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) I think that part's right. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot. I don't think he gave a shit. I just don't think he gave a shit. I think he wrote this and made it. And, you know, it's Hitchcockian and it's cool and it works. And it was 1972 and no one asked these questions. Right. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, dude, I don't know. I just, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the closing shot's great. I mean, um, God, it was just, it was just a fun movie, man. It was just a fun movie to put on 90 minutes long. It's clean. It's insane. Um, I mean, yeah, it's on HBO Max. It's on Criterion. Go watch this movie. I mean, it, yeah, it it's cannot. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Before we move on to Blowout, I just want to briefly mention Carrie, which is obviously his mainstream breakthrough and uh, even Stephen King's mainstream breakthrough. Um, but, um, you know, Carrie gets a lot of attention. We talked about it on a, on a horror movie episode um, that we did last October, and I remember us not liking it or not not really considering it a horror classic. And I still don't. Right. Like to me it was like like would you consider carrie a horror classic and it's like i you know i really wouldn't it's not really one of my favorite like when i think of horror classics i think of stuff in the 80s and i think of you know halloween you know and stuff like that and then i think to myself well 
like I wouldn't really consider Sisters a horror classic e- either, even though it's by all intents and purposes like a horror movie. Like why why wouldn't I consider that a horror classic? And I think it's just because in my mind I separate those like seventies kind of exploitation movies away from being like a horror classic to me. Halloween feels different because it, you know, kind of anticipated um the slasher genre and, and invented it. So it, it feels very um you know, like it's part of the eighties. And I think maybe the exorcist is maybe the only other like, you know, movie from the seventies that I would consider like a horror classic, but like, well, I mean, both of those, both, we have the luxury of hindsight, both of those basically and are made one invented a genre and one, another, another, the other one made something more mainstream. So it's easier to look at the whole picture and be like, Oh yeah, those two for sure. But I agree with you about Carrie and sisters, especially Carrie. No disrespect, but I don't consider that like a, a horror classic either. Right. And I actually rewatched Carrie um, because I was just so curious. Uh, and it was on some streaming service. I don't know what it was on, but um, I uh, I actually rewatched Carrie and I was like, oh, like when seen through the lens as like a 70s exploitation movie, it's like oh, well, this movie fucking owns like I like, you know, like the first time I watched it and kind of like, I mean, I, I'd probably only seen it once or twice before every lens that I was looking at it through was the lens of like Halloween or Friday the 13th or, you know, um, shit like that. And it's like, no, this is this is an exploitation movie in much the same way that Sisters is. And like when I watched it through that lens, I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, I, I think I finally get Carrie and I get the appeal, like seeing that movie in the 70s in theaters, like would have been the exact same fun ride that Sisters was, uh, but even more disturbing, I think. Um, and I don't know. I don't want to get sidetracked on a whole Carrie conversation. I just wanted to throw it out there that like De Palma turned right around from something like Sisters that was really good and made something like Carrie, which has a little bit of a bigger budget and is even more refined. And I think represents a step forward just in craft and in the scale of the movie and fits right in with his like artistic evolution. And obviously that's like his most well-known movie, probably maybe besides, I don't know, maybe besides Scarface. It's, it's definitely that in Scarface, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to shout out Carrie because I was just like, when I saw it through that lens of just being like almost like the follow up to Sisters, I was just like, oh, I get it now. Like I, the weird vibes and all that, it just like it carried over from one movie to the other. And I feel like I really it really hit home, you know? Yeah, I could see that. I have not seen Carrie in years, so maybe it's one I should put on. My favorite thing about it when I watched it, you know, I've seen it three times I think is uh, is always Sissy SpaceX uh performance. It's fantastic. Um yeah, it's, but I mean and especially viewing it yeah. through that lens because this and we'll talk about this um well, I guess we'll talk about this more. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Because some of the movies uh because Blowout doesn't really lend itself to this conversation, but De Palma is often very funny, you know, and you, you have to view Carrie with that lens too that there is some really funny moments. Um you know, in that, uh, like, especially at the beginning when you have like all the high school girls in the locker room, like that's, it's parodic. It's funny. You know, that's, it's a, it's a joke. It's sleazy. Like that's, that's kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I would suggest uh, for you personally, John and anybody else to, uh, 
you know, double feature sisters and Carrie. You'll have a, you'll have a good time, I think. Well, I'll tell you, that was the perfect segue to get us into blowout because of the extremely funny and bizarrely like wannabe erotic opening to yeah. uh, to blowout. Yeah. But I want to say one thing. I don't know. This could be way off base. And this is just when my brain works, so I can't help it. But whenever uh, and sisters, when she was having that brainwashing footage and like that nightmare sequence Mm -hmm. when they were passing like the cleaver around before they fucking chop these people in half. (laughs) Um, Dude, I don't know why, but my brain went to uh, M from Fritz Lang uh, when when Peter Laurie goes out the door and all the people are waiting there for him. I don't know. That's probably just me. And there's probably no way that's related in any in any way, shape or form. Um, but that's what I thought of, dude. I don't know why my brain went there, but it did because it was just such a bizarre, like unsettling scene. And that that's what I remember about about that scene as well with Peter Laurie. When he um, walks out and the people are waiting for him at the end of him. Yeah. Yeah. When he goes out and like they're and, and, and he's like he's having a, a breakdown and all the people are like waiting there essentially to try him um, because oh, everybody's just, right. OK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I don't know if they're like that's just where my brain went. But I just thought I'd throw that out there because I just I just think it's uh it's just a really unsettling scene. And that scene to me was unsettling as well. Cause it's like the idea of not just mob justice, but the idea of a group of people being in a room where something horrific happens, but no one stops it. Right. Just that idea is very unsettling. And I feel like those two moments capture that idea like perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, it's like that scene in, uh, what's that, what's that horror movie? Um, God damn it. What is that guy's name? Ty West. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're talking about, um, house of the devil. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah it reminds yeah. me of, it reminds me a little bit of that. Um, that, that, I the final that. scene in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about where there's like a, a room full of people and something absolutely horrifying is going on. And the fact that the fact that it's not one person doing it, the fact that it's like the whole room is just cool with this happening is, is terrifying. Yeah. 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 It it's always terrifies me. I love it when movies utilize it. Um, so with uh, with the blowout, as I said, you had the perfect um, segue to it because it opens up with just the most amusing shit. Oh, yeah. um, we've got this murderer stalking this house and you've got every like typical slasher sex theme imaginable. One scene is like two girls dancing and basically like lingerie, but basically nude. Yeah. Um, You've got another girl trying to study, and then she goes over to fuss at those girls. You've got one girl touching herself in her bedroom. Mm. And then you've got a shower where a girl is taking a shower, and I think the door even says shower. (laughs) (laughs) And the killer opens it, and he goes to stab her. And after this like really nice long sequence, then it's revealed this is that they're watching the footage, and they're trying to dub over a scream. And I will say that is one of the worst screams ever I've, I've ever heard in a slasher. It was just so great that it was even a, an idea that they would keep it because God, it was awful. Um, but I love what happens. Like, obviously we'll get to the ending, but it is, that is brutally bleak by how that happened. But, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's always something to keep in mind with these De Palma movies is that like he's not taking near he's not taking this nearly as seriously as you are, you know, as the viewer. Yeah, like he, he's really having a lot of fun, and that 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 was even so much more funny. Um, uh, rewatching the beginning of Carrie because I remember watching the beginning of Carrie for the first time, being like, "This is like." this is lewd, you know, like how did they get away with this in 1973? And then I'm like, Oh, it's a joke. Oh, okay. I didn't recognize that the first time, but, but this is, this is even more funny. Um, especially, uh, Travolta's reaction to it. And, um, dude, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about this. This movie is a masterpiece, dude. Like, let me, let me say first, for for anybody that hasn't seen it or not familiar with it, it's about a, a movie sound recorder accidentally records the evidence that proves that a car accident was actually a murder and consequently finds himself in danger. That's pretty accurate. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> um, so anyway, now we can, you can go on what you're saying. I just wanted to get that out there. So everybody's on the same page. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I really wasn't going anywhere. I mean, I guess, I guess um, just to, to gather together a few, um, a few different, um, uh, influences or not even influences some, I guess influences, but also um, what this movie is. I think it's drawing, it's drawing obviously on De Palma's, you know, origins as like an exploitation thriller director. Right. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's, he's incredible at that, you know? Um, And one might even say, this is the culmination of that kind of uh, filmmaking of his, because he would not be the same after he made Scarface. It's a different kind of movie, right? Um, Carlito's Way is a different kind of movie. And obviously, once we get into the 90s and he starts becoming an action director, he starts making different kinds of movies. And so this is almost the apotheosis, the peak of that initial pure, you know, diamond cut Brian De Palma that you know, critics like Pauline Kael and, uh, and and honestly fans, you know, De Palma fans fell in love with. This is, this is him at his peak uh, of that, um, that style and that, that type of movie. Um, so he, he's operating in that theater obviously, but he's also playing on the political thriller of the seventies, three days of the condor, you know, um, the parallax view, you know, shit like that. Uh, those are movies that he's obviously drawing on because it's not just a murder. It's a political assassination. Right. And obviously the ending and stuff, there's it's political and has politics involved, but it's not the same as those movies. You know, it's not that it's not just a political thriller, but another thing that he's drawing on uh, in this is the conversation, uh, the classic, you know, 1972, I think it was, you know, so it's around 10 years old at this point, the classic, you know, Gene Hackman, movie where he's you know an audio guy who's listening in and you know that that's kind of like a somber character study whereas this is more of like a balls out thriller but De Palma is playing with these all three of those different inspirations you know the conversation the political thriller of the 70s and also the thriller exploitation movies that he you know cut his teeth on and what what it brings about is a fucking masterpiece of a movie, dude. I, I I love this movie. I don't know what else you can say about it. I agree. I mean, yeah, I, I love it too. And, and it, it's impossible 
it's impossible to not bring up the conversation to some degree because it's mm-hmm. so clearly heavily influenced this. Yeah. But with this movie, it, it's, I don't know. First off, any movie where you get to see John Lithgow be insane, I'm there. I don't care what it is. John <laughs> Lithgow is amazing. He is, he gets, he, he does not get the credit he deserves for being such a fucking psycho, but then being in one of the funniest sitcoms ever on third rock from the sun. He's a, he's like this long, goofy, weird motherfucker and that, but yet in this or Dexter or raising Kane, he's, he's fucking creepy and insane. Him walking around in this movie, pulling out that thing from his watch, just ready to strangle motherfuckers. Yeah. Like it's terrifying. Um, so you've got him as the guy who's just completely unhinged. No one's on board with what he's doing. No one. <laughs> he, he makes a phone call and says, Hey, so yeah, some stuff went out with some stuff went down. I've got some loose ends. I'm going to murder them too. And the other guy's like, I don't know you. And he hangs up. <laughs> yeah. He's so, like, listen, uh, something went down. I had to kill like eight extra people. And they're like, no, we didn't want you to do that. <laughs> not just that, not just that, but I love the fact that he invents a serial killer. To cover his tracks. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That is beautiful. Like, and not just a regular serial killer. He strangles a woman and then carves a Liberty Bell in her stomach with an ice pick. This yeah, isn't this isn't normal. It's like, <laughs> hey pal, like at a certain level, this isn't cover, and you just are a serial killer, you know? Like, yeah, this is just something you clearly enjoy. And you've already murdered people, so just admit it and it's fine. Um <laughs> You I were mean, like a rogue agent, fine, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not fine for the people he kills. Um, but uh, anyway, dude, he John, Lith- he's so great. Travolta's great. It's just it's so much fun, man. I will admit the first time I watched it many years ago, it took me a bit to get on board with Nancy Allen's voice. I don't know what she was channeling in this. Um, also, I don't know what direction he gave her because I believe they were married at the time when they made this movie. So I don't know what that voice was, but it, it got on my nerves. Even for like the fifth time that I've watched it for the podcast, you know, I, I'm like, God, what are you, what are you doing? Like, you didn't sound like that in RoboCop. Um, what's going on? Um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, like a, it, it's, yeah. There's like a, there's like a note of kind of um, innocence or uh, like trying to make her, um you know, her, the way her story ends, uh, trying to make it more tragic by making her this kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. Happy go lucky, you know, kind of seventies gal or something. It's, it's a strange choice. Uh, but I don't think it derails anything. You know, it's just one of those things where you're like, huh, that's a weird choice. You know, like it doesn't quite work, but it also doesn't quite really detract from anything. I don't think. Uh, no, it doesn't. And, and, and I, and, and, you know, it's just something weird. It's a nitpick by, you know, for me, once again, he does the split screen in this. It works perfectly. I feel, um, I love the use of sound. I love every scene of Travolta splicing the film of Travolta, making the tape Mm -hmm. of all these machines that you would not be able to do today because everything is on a computer, but like then everything was manual. So you just get these nice long scenes of hearing tapes click 
and he's got headphones on and he's making this and he's marking the film here and call me a nerd. If you will. I love that shit. I thought it was awesome. Um, everything about it was cool, but it's a, it's a reminder, right? It's a, you know, Tarantino gets into a little bit of this, uh, during one of the montages in *Inglorious bastards. It's a, you know, it's a reminder that these, you know, these things that we like, you know, obviously sound is a big part of the culture that we consume. Right. I mean, it's, it, yeah. I should say recorded sound, right. Obviously it's present in music and it's, it's hugely present in movies. And I love, I think one of the reasons why those montages are so satisfying is because, you know, like you said, nowadays, I mean, it's, it's low hanging fruit, but it's still true. It's like nowadays it's literally a computer. Like, what do you, what are you going to show? You're going to just show a hard drive, like recording something or whatever. But like these processes were physical, right? Like you, you would even have a hard time. I feel like explaining to like a young person today, what a movie originally was like. It was, it was like a piece of material that you shine a light through, you know, (laughs) like, like these are physical things. These are pieces of, of, of material that are having to go through machines and you have to cut and you have to hit this button and this knob and, you know, it's mechanical and it's hands on. And there's something that is, um, you feel like you're doing something, you know, you feel like you're, you feel like Travolta is doing something. He's doing work. You know, it reminds me of, um, I don't know, Charlie Chaplin operating the scene in modern times or like, the, the, the people operating the machines in Metropolis, you know, it's 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 mechanized and it's and, you know, maybe in 1920 that felt dehumanizing. But now it feels positively uh, artisan, you know, <laughs> compared to, uh, you know, the 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 level of like automation and stuff today. So, no, it's there's a lot of attention paid to that shit. And I, I love it. I agree with you. Yeah. And, and everything, it just feels like so like methodical and like everything, it just, it has a purpose and he takes his time. The story unfolds, but it doesn't unfold in some crazy way. Like everything feels plausible. Like you have a character, no one believes. And then the reason I feel another reason I feel it works so well, because I mean, I agree with you. There's not, there's only so much you can say before it gets repetitive. It's just a great fucking movie. Um, is you have this presence of this ominous presence of pure terror who's just out there. Once you get an introduction to Lithgow, so you don't really know what's going to happen. So that the final 20 minutes are riveting mm-hmm. when he pretends to be the producer and like, you know, Travolta wires her up and, and he doesn't know until it's too late, obviously that it's Lithgow. Um, but that whole sequence is great. Trying to take her down the, the dark part of the subway. And then the guy comes out and interrupts him before he gets to kill her and stuff like that. All that it is superbly shot. That is a blueprint for making a, a simplistic thriller that works. And so with sisters, honestly, both mm-hmm. of them are thrillers that work on every level. So, I mean, it's really impressive, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, but I mean, I agree with you about sisters and like, well, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying like, this is such a step up though, like in craftsmanship and Oh, I agree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like it, it's just uh it, it's kind of astonishing, man. Like it really is. Like, especially because like the, the the climax of this movie is what 
these movies are supposed to be today, right? Like when you fire up, a, you know, some of the Marvel shit or some of the, you know, action movies or whatever that they make today, this is what they're going for, right? They're, they're, they're going for um, the audience to be breathless in the final 10 minutes, you know, for the audience to be holding their breath thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen? You know, and yeah. that's hard to achieve. But it's also like it's also like a no brainer. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know it, it, it feel, it's, it's I feel like it's hard to achieve, but it's also it feels some of the some of the best directors make it look easy. And De Palma makes it look like he is just like he does it so fucking well. And like you said, the way it's cut together and the way that sound is incorporated and it's just I don't know. I don't even want to say any more about the end just in case anybody. I feel like this is not a very watched movie. I feel like the De Palma movies that everybody knows are Carrie and uh, and and Scarface, and like that's about it. But I'm I'm telling you, folks, Blowout and Sisters, especially Blowout, man. And dude, Travolta, Pauline Kael compared Travolta in this movie to Brando in On the Waterfront, and that may be hyperbole, you know, because Brando is an icon. But dude, Travolta is fucking good in this movie, man. He brings this like physical presence and this like uh i don't i don't know i don't know man it's hard to describe it's like this is the kind of travolta that you see in saturday night fever and you see in blowout and you may not see again until fucking pulp fiction you know like he's just so good in this he's such a leading man and oh, man i just love this movie man i mean what can you say no, yeah, I mean, I, I second everything you said. I thought Travolta was great. I mean, guys, go watch this. It's on Criterion. It's I'm sure it's available for rent everywhere. Um, go check it out because it it deserves to be checked out. It is just such a fun. I mean, honestly, I know we throw a lot of shade and shit at uh, like at modern movies and blockbusters and stuff, and and none of us are immune to enjoying them and watching them. We're all human. We all love movies, or we should. Um, but I think this is just a whole different class mm-hmm. of like someone who pays attention to the detail and actually is more interested in making a film that he wants to make and paying attention to all the things that a lot of people don't pay attention to not because they're not good directors in some cases yes but not not always but because studios won't let them because right. it is about a franchise or a sequel or a story setup so we get stuck with 15 years of movies that all have the same third act and the mm-hmm. same climax and the same looking everything. And I'm not trying to sound like an elitist or anything. I'm just stating what I feel is pretty obvious when you start comparing modern day thrillers or action movies like you were referring to earlier, where it's like, no, this is what we're going for. But it's like you never hit it. Yeah, Like you're not going to hit it because – you say you're going for it as like lip service, but you clearly have no interest in really hitting the target with with said thriller or putting me on the edge of my seat or whatever. So I think that's yeah. why go watch these movies, guys, because you will get that. And it feels it feels elitist because it's like, oh, like, you know, we're talking good about, you know, this movie from the eighties that's on the criterion collection. And we're talking bad about Marvel, but like on a certain level, it's like, no, we're talking about trash either way. We're just talking about good trash or boring trash. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're, we're not talking about Beethoven here. We're talking about feeling. Uh, we're talking about feeling something at the end of, of a movie. We're talking about feeling suspense and feeling, you know, terror and all those things that we'd love to experience. And it's like, we know the ways to do it. It's just that they've gotten automated out or they've gotten, you know, who knows what the reasons are. Like you said, shitty directors, studios can't do it, you know, whatever, whatever. There's a million reasons why everything's bad, but like, we're not talking about some kind of elevated shit. We're talking about just feeling something at the end of a fucking movie, you know, like, it, yeah, like I, we're not we're not trying to pitch you like like I think me and you do have some minor disagreements about like how we view cinema as an art form, but we're not trying we're not saying scarf or uh, not scarf. We're not saying Godfather. Oh, go watch Godfather instead of the next Marvel movie. Like this is just a random fucking eighties movie, man, mm-hmm. and it's just really well done. Like it's just it's it's a it's a seventies holdover. Feels a little trashy. A lot of fun. Well made thriller. Like. So we're not trying to like go watch a fucking Bergman movie or something yeah, like we're yeah, talking yeah. about just a regular fucking movie that was well crafted, very entertaining, and it accomplished what a movie is supposed to accomplish. Right. And, and that's all it is. It's, and it's astonishing, too. It's, it's kind of like you watch this and you're like, God damn, I really am capable of feeling something. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, yeah. It's great, man. You just you know, like 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 you said. I don't want to spoil the ending, and, and we need to move on. But like, yeah, the 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 ending with with the last twenty minutes, the suspense is built up, and you, if you're watching it for the first time, you have no fucking idea what's going to happen, and that's exactly where you should be. Right. Like, and right. you should feel it. It shouldn't just be like, oh, I don't really know what's going to happen. You care. You're invested. You don't want something bad to happen to these characters you spent time with. Right. They're trying to uncover this massive conspiracy right so it should hit you in the fucking chest and that's exactly what this movie does um Uh, so i mean guys go watch it it's available everywhere criterion you know just just go watch it you will not regret it so uh just to segue a little bit here uh right after this uh de palma makes scarface which we've talked a lot about it's you know one of your favorite movies um which you know i think can be really summed up with um a movie that feels like snorting cocaine, you know, which, uh, you know, is is a great, it's a great movie, obviously, but it's also the first movie that Brian De Palma ever did that he did not originate the idea, which I thought was interesting. I did not know that, um, going into this, this, this idea originated with Pacino because obviously, you know, Al Pacino is a big enough actor to be able to originate his own, um, projects you know i believe god is the word you're looking for (laughs) um so yeah so so uh this is a turning point you know in 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 de palma's career he stops making these kind of thrillers and it's almost kind of like what do you do after blowout you know (laughs) like after you make blowout you know like uh, can you really keep going with these thrillers like you, you it's the peak of the of the art form almost in a way so yeah, he moves on to kind of making a different kind of movie and he obviously makes Scarface, which is, you know, very much its own thing. But then, uh, nine years later, is it, what is it? 1991, uh, Carlito's uh for War? Carlito's way, 93, 93. So 10 years later, he's, he, he makes Carlito's way again at the suggestion of Al Pacino, um, who could develop his own projects. 
And he originally didn't want to do any movie. Obviously, he became convinced that he could do like a souped up, you know, cocaine uh, infused movie like uh, Scarface. But Carlito's Way is something else entirely. And Brian De Palma really, really finds something interesting to do here. Um, so, well, yeah. before we talk about Carlito's Way, I have two things to say. Don't be sleeping on the untouchables, people. It came out in 1987. I've read a lot of people who don't like it. I've read a lot of reviews that didn't like it, but don't sleep on it because it's fucking fantastic. I love sure. it. I don't know if you like it, um, but in terms of gangster, in terms of where it fits on the gangster, should I watch it list? You should watch it. Um, no, definitely. I so, agree. Uh, but but I think it fits in though, right? I mean, he, he's he's making a different kind of movie in the 80s than he was. And that was one of the reasons why we did we picked the movies that we did seventies, eighties, nineties, and then two thousands. He was making a different kind of movie in the eighties um, than he was. In, and then he became kind of an action director, you know, later on, but yeah, no good, good looking out. Yeah. The, the untouchables is great. Yeah. And, and I want to say, I want to read this real quick from, from David Thompson, because, you know, I, I read De Palma. I read that section, not just for this episode, but because I was like, I really wanted to know what he said about Scarface. Cause like, if he said anything bad about it, I was going to burn the book. Um, <laughs> no, he, he loves said, Scarface, doesn't he? Yeah. He said, but Scarface is something else, an authentic black comedy with red for blood, white for cocaine. And that overall smeared look so true to Miami. Mm. And uh, and I just love it. And, and this is where he says something that I agree with. I believe I said this on our Howard Hawks episode. He said that he admits he prefers it to the Hawks version. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like that's not even that crazy of a reach because they're so different. Yeah. Like it's such a different interpretation that it's not even like disrespectful to Hawks's version to say, yeah, it's better. Also, I feel like Howard but, Hawks really hadn't. I mean, he really hadn't become howard hawks quite yet i mean you're talking about almost a decade before his girl friday you know what i mean like that's a really early hawks movie like he, he oh didn't yeah come into his own yet you know oh yeah the his girl friday where uh carrie grant's character is an asshole and doesn't deserve to win okay. i remember that one here we go <laughs> uh so um anyway so so i just wanted to read that about scarface but i will say yeah like so it's it's one of my favorite movies possibly my favorite tied with Goodfellas, but I'm a little biased when it comes to that. But you tweeted out something I found interesting that kind of reframed Carlito's way because it's impossible to to watch Carlito's way if you've seen them both. I should say it's impossible. And not in some way view this as a project that Pacino and De Palma both kept Scarface in the back of their mind while making Carlito's way. Because yeah. it's a whole different gear, okay? Uh, but it's on this. It's it's a theme that really I feel um, is almost like a, okay, guys, we made Scarface and made it look fun, but let's get down to brass tacks. Let's look at let's look at like what happens when you pay for what you've done. Mm -hmm. um, and you tweeted out that Carlito's way is De Palma's Irishman, and. I thought that was a really like good observation and it's something that I've never really thought of because I have not watched Carlito's way since watching the Irishman. I haven't watched Carlito's way in a few years. 
Um, which is weird because it's honestly one of my favorite Pacino performances. Like it's top three for me. I think it's a, an amazing, beautiful performance from him for the character. Um, but I really think that 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 kind of reframed how I thought about the movie. And I thought it was really interesting. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, for those of you that don't know what Carlita's Way is about, a Puerto Rican former convict just released from prison pledges to stay away from drugs and violence despite having the worst lawyer in the world. No, um, despite the pressure around him and lead on to a better life outside of NYC. Um, so kind of elaborate a bit on, on that thought. It feels pretty self-explanatory, but like, you know, did that just hit you when you were watching it or? Well, you know, I will. Okay. First of all, it's a little, it's a little simplistic, but I think it's generally true, right? Like, yeah, I mean, of course it's a little simplistic, but I still think like it, it it's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's impossible. It's a, you're right. It's impossible to view Carlito's way as not a, you know, Matt Zoller sites has a really good essay on this as, uh, on reverse shot. And he said that a lot of people at the time thought that it was an apology, right? Uh, for Scarface, but apology is is the wrong word. I mean, it's 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 the mirror image, right? Like it, it literally, it's the it's the reverse mirror image of Scarface. It's you know, it's uh, instead of you know burning white hot and going out in a blaze of glory, um, and just you know, uh, just snorting so much cocaine that you you know, I mean, the maximalism of Scarface. You know, instead of that. Um, it's reflective. It's, it's, it's an older Al Pacino, um, trying to not reform his old ways, but trying to leave that gangster's life, you know, trying to leave it because he views the life of a gangster as, um, empty and immoral, but also silly in a way he, he looks down on it. He's like, what are you, you know, when you, when you see him talk to people, you see him talk to Benny Blanco and you see him talk to his cousin, you know, he, he, there's a disdain that he has for the lifestyle, not even a disdain so much as a, as a mockery. He's like, Oh, what are you, what are you tough? Are you a tough guy? Oh, okay. You know, like he, he, you can tell he thinks it's kind of corny on some level, you know? And I, and I think you also find like it, he's cor- it's corny, but also there is, especially with the way he treats Benny Blanco, when he throws him out of the club, there is like a self-loathing there Yes. to where it's like, I don't like you because you remind me of me and yeah. I hate what I used to be. Yeah. And I'm trying, and it's, it's, it's the Godfather three, really it, it, uh, to me, Carlito's way does what Godfather three tried to do, but better. And he, I don't like Godfather three. I'm a defender of that movie, but it's, I try to get out and they pull me back in and it's not so much. They, they pull Carlito back in. It's, himself he 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 can't quite he's trying to navigate walking away going legit he is trying to navigate and split the difference between that and between upholding some kind of code of personal honor that he still has from his day like for instance the inciting incident is him accompanying his cousin to this drug deal and like you know the obvious answer is why did you do that right you're trying to go straight why didn't you just say, no, I'm not going to do that? Well, because a man's got to have a code, right? I'm not going to let my cousin go get, you know, fucking murdered 
um, and and not not go with him on this drug deal and 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 try and you know I pretend to be his muscle to look over, uh, to look out for him. You know what I mean? So it's it, it's Carlito trying to navigate those two paths in life, and you know it, it, it's tough, man. It's it's tough to navigate those two things, and I think that's why. You know, I I started this movie the, the way that I watched this. I actually watched this a few weeks ago, or a, I don't know, maybe it's a few months ago now. And I got it about forty five minutes through, forty five minutes of the way through. And I I got busy with some stuff, and my like Amazon rental expired. And I never went back and watched it because I was like, okay, you know, pretty standard, like you know, nineties gangster movie. I didn't realize what it was. Just like the same time I first watched The Irishman, I didn't realize what it was. I was like, okay, Scorsese playing the hits. But then at a certain point, you realize, oh, like this gangster trying to go good is not just a plot development. That's what this movie is about at its core, right? Like it's the core of it is him trying to leave, like legitimately trying to leave. And once you realize that's what the movie is about, it's like, oh, okay, I didn't I didn't know we were going in this kind of reflective direction. And once you realize that man it really turns into a really great movie i mean so was this your first yeah. time watching carlito's way yes yes this is my first time oh, wow. all the way through okay yeah. i did not know that okay and uh, yeah I, I i couldn't have loved it more man i i really truly think this is this is you know as far as which one's better i mean obviously you know the irishman and unforgiven are better but i think this is similar to that kind of movie you know what i mean this is this is almost like a, a, a rehashing of, of older tropes, but through the lens of being older, you know, through the lens of being older and wiser. That's exactly what Unforgiven is with the Western. That's exactly what this is, I think, for Scarface. And just like the Irishman is for Goodfellas. But, you know, the Irishman is probably the best of these three and really takes it to another level. But I do think Carlito's way is great. And, and it, it, it's a... It, 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 and, you know, it is kind of corny in like that 90s way. And there is some kind of some De Palma like black comedy in here. But I think at its core, it's a pretty heartbreaking movie. I think it really is. And I think it earns some of the schmaltz. I really do. Because it's like, God damn, man, the guy didn't want to be a fucking kingpin. He wanted to he wanted to 75,000. That's not that much for a gangster. You know what I mean? Like to go rent cars. Like it was a joke the whole movie. Like yeah. he's not trying, he's not trying to like to like um reinvent the will or go do something crazy. He just wants to go rent car. He wants to go join in a business with his buddy to rent cars. Like it's yeah. not crazy. It's it's Jamie Foxx um, and Collateral, right? And like oh yeah. Jamie Foxx and Collateral, you you pity, right? And like fucking carlito the you know puerto rican mobster has the exact same goal like it's you know it's it's modest like it's not much and he can't have it you know it's um yeah now it's it's brutal real quick am i the only person who thinks penelope ann miller in this movie uh could be a fucking stand-in for naomi watts I, you know, <laughs> she looks like Naomi Watts, but she sounds like Diane Keaton. Um, it's really weird. It it threw me for a loop when I saw it because I was like, I mean, of course, I've seen this movie numerous times. I know Naomi Watts is in this movie, but like it's been a while since I watched it. And seeing her with that haircut that kind of reminds me of Naomi Watts, like in King Kong. I was just like, this is eerie, man. 
Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll say this too: she's not that great in this. Um, she's well, she know, didn't really need to be because she was yeah. a, she was basically a walking metaphor, as was Kleinfeld. Like right. they were both walking metaphors of what of, of paths you can take. Ooh, so I mean, Penn is she, good in this, dude. <laughs> Penn's really good. Penn's really good. So, so I have two things for you. D- two names. Did you notice the Sopranos alums in this movie? Oh, I didn't. So you've got Joseph Saravo, who unfortunately passed away last year, I believe. He played Vinny Tagliolucci, who who um, killed Kleinfeld and then got killed by the cops. He is Tony Soprano's dad. Okay, right, 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 right. Okay, and that that was more noticeable. Like I really, I, I thought you'd know that one, but the one that's not as noticeable is when Sean Penn, his character Kleinfeld screams a racial slur to a bunch of Italians on the dance floor. <laughs> and you will never guess who was one of those Italians. Ooh, I'm Big pussy bumping Saro. Really? Yeah, with a mustache. Great wow. scene. He's like the guy holding him back. Um, also, I thought, that was, um, thought that was pretty funny. Well, also, and, well, and this is a, <laughs> there's a lot of talk of uh, brown face, you know? Uh, in this oh, movie. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm sorry, but I just think it's hilarious uh, that we're all supposed to believe Al Pacino is Puerto Rican. Like, I'm going to chalk this up as some t- old fashioned De Palma humor uh, because it's just hilarious. But also um, the most flagrant offender of uh, brown face in this movie. Motherfucking Vigo is in this bad boy. Yo, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but dude, every, the first time I watched this, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, is that? Is that fucking Aragorn sitting in that wheelchair? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what are you doing here, man? And that and that accent you're trying to work over? Like, no, this oh, is egregious. Yeah, um, it's, it's brutal. But uh, but, but uh, that ad- to me that like that adds to like the De Palma-ness of it. You know what I mean? And especially what well, adds Penn. to like the satirical nature of it. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. And especially Sean Penn as like. You know, th- he really could have been more respectable. You know what I mean? Like, I can picture someone like Sean Penn being like, no, like, I'm I'm Sean Penn. I'm a movie star. I'm not playing this. Like, I'm not playing this absolutely loathsome role. But he does, and he kind of revels in it. You know, it's like it's like Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. Like, he really is like, like, he's like balding, and he's just like, just, he's just such a little bitch, just a little slimy worm, like, it's, it's and it's such clear a that he's super role. racist. Yeah, and it's clear that he's super racist and shit. Like he's right. just he's basically just enjoying and like you said, reveling in like, yeah, I'm just a racist, rich white lawyer who has made money off of the Italians and like these Puerto Rican gangsters, and I'm a real piece of shit. Oh, um, it's incredible. <laughs> like one of my favorite things is when he's like yelling at the guy for getting like a hand job at his party. Oh yeah. He, and he's like, I got like, a fucking guest over here. <laughs> Fuck her in the bedroom like a normal person. <laughs> and like, I really like should be like on his side. You know, this guy's getting a hand job from his, you know, probably prostitute like in public. And instead I was just like, God, shut up, you little worm. Like, let the man get a hand job. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, dude, that that was such a great scene. And also that scene has been mocked or like not, not mocked, but 
used in so many movies about like fuck her in the bedroom like a normal person. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, dude. I mean, honestly, there's not much that that I can say that won't just basically be repetitive to what you said. I think it's a fantastic performance. Ignore the fact that obviously Al Pacino was not Puerto Rican. This was made in a different time. And I do think that De Palma did it, like you said, on purpose a little bit. I think he leaned into it, uh, to say the least. Um, I mean, certainly more so than in Scarface. Like Scarface, they may have been trying to pass it off. But I mean, I think there is even a line in the movie, right? Don't they? Doesn't someone say at one point, I can't believe I thought you were Italian or something? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh... I, I don't know, man. This movie, it's a special movie, I think. Now, I will say I'm a bit biased. We don't talk about actors a lot on this podcast. We tend to stick to directors and movies, but as an actor guy, like, you know, uh, I grew up watching Pacino and De Niro. I, I think Pacino is in the top three, at the very least, top five greatest actors of all time, period. I uh, His performance in this is is one of my favorites. I'll take this performance, if I'm being honest, I put this performance over his performance in Godfather one or two in terms of my personal enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like he's, he's enjoying it a bit more. And like, I love Godfather. I love his performance in Godfather one and two, but it's so like, it's so like black tie affair. You know what I mean? Yeah. This one, he just has a little more fun with like when he's, when he's fucking just completely demeaning uh, Benny Blanco and then he just shoves him down the stairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's just so much fun shit. And then like, when his response to Kleinfeld, when he just beats that guy's head in and he's just like, he's like, who's going to be in the river now, motherfucker. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and Pacino's like, what did you do? Like, yeah. it's just, uh, it's just, I love unhinged Pacino. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Like the heat Pacino, like she's got a big ass Pacino. Everyone loves that. But like, um, I also think it's tempered here though. Right. Like, because like, Oh, right Absolutely. Be- because right before he loses it on the boat, there's a really great, uh, there's a really great kind of shot where like De Palma lets Pacino just kind of stare off into space for a second, and like you see like Pacino thinking like, okay, well now we have to kill the other guy in the boat, like you know, like th- like it gives him some space to like breathe and like really feel the impact of like, God damn it, like I. I'm trying to get out and they're not letting me, you know, it's like, you really feel some of those moments, especially the, I mean, I, you know, Al Pacino, I don't know if he's ever been a convincing love interest in a movie. And in this, in this movie, it's like, God damn it. Can he just have his girl, you know, like, can he just have his girl and his rental car business? And like, you know, like he really, really brings, brings it home. Some of the like sentiment, I guess, like, I think that's the difference between, De Palma and Michael Mann, or I guess maybe maybe not a difference between the directors, but a difference between their approaches to something like Heat, where where Michael Mann is like, uh, yeah, I just want you to fucking go insane in every scene, whereas De Palma is like, no, this is this is your Eastwood moment, you know, this is your reflective role, uh, um, but it, it does have a it does have its fair share of you know Pacino freakouts, which you know, hey, that's what you pay the uh, the ticket price for, you know. Oh yeah, I mean this is definitely more a uh, more chilled out Pacino compared to Heat, but like like comparing it to Godfather, you know. Um oh, but yeah, I will yeah. say that's a whole other thing, Godfather, yeah. I was going to let this slide. 
Um, but Pacino is a love interest in every movie because everyone wants to be with him. So I'm just going to, I'm going to need you to not, uh, say that because Pacino is perfect in every possible way. Um, we get it. So we get it. you want to fuck out Pacino. That is disrespectful, uh, to Pacino. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, guys go watch this movie. If you haven't seen it, I mean, this is not, th- this is not a hidden movie. I would say it's a pretty well-known gangster movie. It's got fucking Sean Penn and Pacino. Sean Penn ain't no slouch. I think he's one of the, one of the best actors of his generation as well. Um, he's great in this. Go watch it. It's fucking, but it's if, fantastic. But, but I guarantee you, if you're listening to this, you, you're you thinking about Carlito's way, what I was thinking, which is this is like a a second tier 90s mob movie. You're thinking this is, uh, what's the movie with Pacino and Johnny Depp? Um, Dude, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you about to say Donnie Brasco was Donnie, second tier 90s? I, I Okay, no, no, no. Donnie Brasco is a second tier, like overall gangster movie. Um, okay, I could buy into that. I mean, no, but I, I, I don't, I don't like when people disrespect Donnie Brasco because I think that movie does not get the credit it deserves. But I will concede when you put it on like a Goodfellas, Scarface, Casino level, like yeah, it's second tier. I, I will give you that. My my only point in even in even bringing it up is to say that you may be thinking that Carlito's way is closer to Donnie Brasco. If you're listening to this, like I was, I promise you, it's closer to Goodfellas than it is to Donnie Brasco. Like, it, like I really, I really believe that. Like, I, I think it's it's closer to that end of the spectrum. It's that good. I think. Um, Look, I think we're gonna need to get the femme fatale because you're on thin ice with what you're saying about about Pacino and Donnie Brasco. Let, <laughs> let's just move on. Uh, things are things are unraveling, people. Um. <laughs> So uh, anyway, yeah, go watch this. I mean, I agree. Like, I, like I said, I still love your observation of of saying it's 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 the Irishman for De Palma. Obviously, take that the way it's intended. People, he's not like I don't think you meant it was as good, but I see what I see where you're coming from, and I liked it. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about Finn Fatale. Uh, Two thousand two. This is uh, what nine years later. Um, yeah, De Palma wrote it and directed it clearly a passion project. Who knows why? Um, a woman tries to straighten out her life, even as her past as a con woman comes back to haunt her. Um, so what made you want us? what made you want us to watch? Like you pick, you kind of threw this one on there and I didn't care cause I liked De Palma and I'll watch whatever. What did you, had you just never seen it and wanted to check it out, heard things about it or just wanted the movie from the two thousands. I mean, yeah, all of the above, honestly, like I'd never seen it. And it seems to be his most, uh, it seems to be his most critically acclaimed movie after Carlito's way, I think, at least by my estimation, I mean, just looking at his filmography, I mean, people like mission impossible and snake eyes, but I, I think definitely femme fatale has probably the most respect, um, yeah, I would say. I mean, I don't know. Maybe even if it doesn't. Um, yeah, I'd I'd heard about it and heard that it was supposed to be good. Um, you know, I like I like certain parts, th- certain things about this movie. I mean, we should say Rebecca Romaine Stamos is the titular femme fatale. Um, you know, it's got some it's got some some typical De Palma stuff. I mean, the plot. I mean, who really knows? <laughs> Yeah, who really knows about the plot? 
you know, she's uh, what is she? She's like a they're trying to do a jewel heist at the beginning at the Cannes Film Festival, which I think is really funny. And also, um, uh, and then uh, her partner gets caught and he comes back for revenge. And then it turns out the whole movie was like some like premonition or some fantasy or something. Um, Dude, I was confused. I'll be honest with you. I was fucking confused. And if I cared enough, I would have watched it again. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't. I really was confused. I was legitimately like, what the fuck is going on? For some of this movie, I'm like, why did you take this concept and and, and, and choose to tell me in this fucking bizarre way? Like, what are you doing? Well, to hear De Palma tell it, this to him was a... Um this was a grab bag of all, like he said that this was kind of like his surrealistic uh, tribute to film noir. And you get a little bit of that at the very beginning with, um, here's what I think this movie is. And and I'll I'll say, I I think it, it doesn't work because it's a bunch of things, you know, this is something that happens in the late career of directors, right? They make movies about what they're interested in at the expense of everything else, including coherence, including story, including character. We've seen it time and time again with Hitchcock, Orson Welles, all kinds of different directors. This is what they do. And I mean, this you know, just because we've talked about the Irishman, this is what Scorsese did, except for he didn't throw out story or character. He threw out... uh, plausibility with the uh the aging makeup and he threw out the runtime i don't care if this movie is going to be four hours i'm going to make a movie out about what i want to make it about so i think this is a grab bag of kind of de palma's favorite things i mean we open with a silhouette of rebecca romaine stamos over um uh, you don't see her face for a while right right yeah um we open with a silhouette of of her from uh watching what is the name of that fucking movie double indemnity with fred mcmurray and barbara stanwick and so clearly we're supposed to identify her with a kind of femme fatale and it it seems like at first she is a member of this team that is going to rob uh this uh diamond studded uh jewelry that some starlet is wearing right and honestly, I enjoyed this part. I enjoyed the the Cannes Film Festival thing. I thought the Cannes Film Festival thing was really funny. This movie premiered at Cannes, you know, and obviously De Palma is no stranger to that festival. And so, like, taking audiences, you know, maybe who had never been there inside there and kind of doing a robbery there, I thought it was kind of funny and tongue-in-cheek. Um, the director is a real director. The film that was premiering is a real film that premiered in 1999. Uh, Sandra Bonaire uh is a real french famous actress like this was this was like a real movie um that premiered at Cannes, and so uh and the way that rebecca remains stamos the kind of like you know typical de palma she's like making out with um she like seduces this woman to steal this like diamond jewelry that she has on i thought this entire sequence worked really well um and i was enjoying it and then things kind of fall off the rails. I mean, she goes into, she gets like caught by people who are looking for a missing person who looks exactly like Rebecca remains Stamos. And then the missing person comes home and kills herself. So Rebecca remains Stamos just assumes her identity, which, okay. 
And then we flash like eight years into the future, which is like 2008, apparently. And the guy who she did the job with gets out of prison and is basically looking for her. And we also get interaction with her and Antonio Banderas. And then whenever she falls, they throw her into the river when they finally catch her. And then we realize that all that had been a dream or a memory of some kind. And that's insane. <laughs> like it's, enti- it's, it's, it's completely insane. And that is where a movie that is really wobbling, really, really, really falls apart. And I don't know, man. I, I don't think this movie works on any conceivable level. But what I do think it is, is I think it's a collection of things that De Palma thinks is cool. Um, and this is his tribute to film noir. Now, me personally, I don't understand that because the thing that I like about film noirs is their vibe, their atmosphere, their photography. I understand you can't make a movie like that. Maybe you could now and put it on Netflix or something, but back then you couldn't make a mainstream thriller that looked like a film noir. Like he did that with black Dahlia and it was a huge failure, but you know, the things that I like about film noir, maybe are not the same things that De Palma likes about film noir. And I don't know. Well, okay. I don't know. You talk. You say something about this fucking piece of shit. I was wondering why you were talking about it like you thought it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, You spent so much time on it. Listen, (laughs) with film noir, I like them too. Typically, especially old film noirs, um, not so much neo-noirs, they're easy to follow. They're fun. They're simple. They're just, they're just fun. They're, They're just, they're, they're, they're formulaic. They're nice. They're they're easy. Like they are classic style Hollywood movies. So having this new information uh, angers me greatly because this movie is the opposite of all of that. I agree with you. The beginning is the best part, but I don't know entirely if that is um, like a positive thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Antonio Banderas is really bizarre in this. I don't know what direction he got. Uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos did her best, but I mean, really, if you've watched the movie, he only told her to do really one thing, which is show off everything. Like, I don't really know how much he wanted her to do, but I think she works in the movie. That's a positive. I mean, she really does. I thought she, she did a good job with her part. But the movie's so confusing and convoluted and weird. And I just, it blows my mind that he did this as like a tribute to like things he loves about noir. And I will obviously agree with you that late career directors, sometimes they will focus on either what they love or what's on their mind currently and not give a fuck about everything else. Mm -hmm. Like, and clearly that's what he did. And I think it's pretty obvious. I told you before we recorded this, this is one of the few movies we've been doing this podcast for almost two years. This is one of the few movies we've watched where I'm just like, it's really hard to find a lot of redeeming things about it because I did not have a good time. If I'm being honest. Um, yeah, was not fun. I mean, you know, I, there's just a lot of problems with, I mean, Antonio Banderas is really, um, 
I don't know, man. I, I don't know who thought that he would be. I, I'm guessing that he's supposed to be the kind of um, dopey, like he doesn't work as a, as a noir character. Uh, and the chemistry between him and Rebecca Romain Stamos is really strained, which like, I, you know, you, two good looking people doesn't mean they're going to have good chemistry. And, you know, it, it, it's, and Rebecca Romain Stamos is like, there's not a lot of vulnerability there or something, you know, to open the movie with someone like Barbara Stanwyck and, you know, whose performance in double indemnity is so amazing and so filled with, you know, venom and vulnerability in equal measure. And, and then to like, you know, have Rebecca Romaine Stamos, who is almost kind of like an automaton in this movie, like a sexual, like, I don't know. I kept thinking like, okay, do you want her to be a character or do you want her to be an object? Like either way is fine. Like, I'm not going to judge you De Palma. Clearly you're a perv and that's fine. Like, but like, do you want, he her is to- a Hitchcock fan. <laughs> right. And like, but like, do you want her to be a character or do you want her to be an object? Like, cause you got to choose that. Like, I'm not going to see her as an object if you're going to try to make her like the main character, but like, I don't know, man. What you, what you should be saying is, do you want her to be a character or do you want her to be a femme sex bot from Austin powers? Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's just, and it's strangely unsexy. Like there's like, like it's really clunky. Like it's too weird and disjointed to be sexy. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, it's it's strangely bereft of sex. Like it's like, there's like too much of it, you know, like uh, uh, just speaking of movies that are, you know, that he, that he quotes in this um, uh, the uh, in double indemnity, when, when she shows up at the beginning with the robe, you know, and Fred McMurray is like looking at her ankle, right? Like there's more sexual tension in that than there is in like her giving this like lap dance to this guy, you know, like, and even, you know, Al Pacino, which, you know, clo- like plug your ears up, John, he doesn't have uh, the the sexual chemistry that, you know, a lot of male leads would have. But like the scene I thought where we were past this, huh? <laughs> I thought we were past this. God damn it. But like the scene in Carlito's way where she's like, uh, you know, like if you can break in, then, you know, you can do whatever you want or whatever, like that little like you know, like, uh, that little like game that they play is like more like sexually charged than anything in this movie. And I don't know, man, it's just, it's just a really, it's like an erotic thriller that is neither erotic nor thrilling, you know? Um, I I do want to say real quick, go back to that scene you just referenced because you reminded me of it. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, but he forgot to close the door. Um, (laughs) So literally anyone could have seen or heard. But anyway, um, De Palma in this movie managed to make sex weird and unpleasant. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So even even at the beginning, like, like, okay, like even at the beginning, right? Like the Rebecca Romaine Stamos, like making out with the woman, right? Like that has the potential to be erotic, right? Like you've got this woman who is like wearing this outfit, who's essentially topless on the red carpet. And the camera is clearly ogling her, you know, her 90s, you know, supermodel body. But then, like, they get into the bathroom and they're, like, making out. And they're, like, like, that is when it becomes really, like, mechanical and weird. And, like, 
they're just kind of like breathing heavily on each other and it's like dude there's more eroticism in like the lesbian kiss in Mulholland Drive which is pedestrian compared to like this you know like it's it's like he like took all the air out of the room and made it like really not thrilling and not erotic and the chem like I said the chemistry between her and Banderas is weird it's just it's like there's no air in this movie there's no there's no uh i don't know there's no uh there's no air you know like you can't you, there's no 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 there there in this movie it's very strange it's a weird vibe i thoroughly found the part when the man squirts syrup all over the keys to be very amusing oh yeah um <laughs> that was hilarious <laughs> Either way, yeah, can guys. Having, can you imagine having like a large set of keys that you have to deal with like in your everyday work and like someone squirting like syrup all over it? Like, wouldn't you be fucking furious? Like, Oh, yeah, because like you can try to go clean it, but you just squirt like maple syrup all over my shit. Like it's never going to be clean again. Oh, yeah. Um, no, no, no. Like I would be so pissed. I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you can't eat your goddamn pancakes like a foot further away. I mean, yeah, overall, guys, like this, this movie is just it doesn't work. It's not good. It's not enjoyable. You know, I, I don't mean to disparage uh, De Palma. I am a big fan, but every director makes a movie that misfires occasionally. Not every director, some directors, a lot of directors. So, yeah, I don't fucking know. Don't watch this movie. Don't rent it. Go watch something else. Honestly, go watch the USA show La Femme Nikita before you watch this, because honestly, that's better. Um, that's a movie too, so, right? Isn't it? Yeah. It's based, it's based on a movie. Yeah. yeah. Which is better, which is much better than this movie. Um, uh, so go watch either of those. You watch this show La Femme Nikita. Yeah, dude. It's a good show. I, I enjoyed it on USA mm -hmm. years ago. Like this was when TV was like, there was not a lot of shit on. And I liked the idea. I love like spy shit. Um, you know what? Like, like, cause like a movie like entrapment, with Catherine Zeta Jones and, and Sean Connery. Like yes. shit like that. I think that's cool. Especially um, in the nineties. Oh um, yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, oh, so this is a TV show that was on in the nineties. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. And it was based on a Luke Luke Besson movie, Nikita. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And Luke Besson, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who he is. He's fantastic. Go watch that movie. Yeah, I don't know, man. We're we're like guys, now that we've got the kinks worked out a little bit of this volume one, volume two shit or, and volume so on. We're not going to sum up what we've, how we feel about De Palma because we don't want to be repetitive. So this is a start. Volume two is coming. We don't know when, obviously, you know, we're not, we're probably never going to focus on Scarface or Carrie, uh, because we've already talked about those, but I mean, yeah, go watch them if you haven't seen them, obviously. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, do we do volume one justice with these four movies, one of which, you know, you've made us watch? Yeah, I think so. Thanks. And also in the future, uh, you bring this shit in here talking about uh, Pacino that way again. I'm walking. All you'll hear is the door closing, brother. <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, before we wrap up Patreon, you want to hear us talk shit, you know, just in a more fun fashion, witty banter and such. Silver small screen video. We're in the middle of Mad Men right now, about to wrap up season three. Uh, come join in over there. You could watch along or just listen to us talk about each episode. Also, Silver Screen After Dark. As I said earlier, check out the Patreon preview. We posted a couple of weeks ago. 
kind of give you a little insight as to what we do over there. A little bit of chaos, a little bit of this movie talk, whatever. Jacob, where can they find that again? Patreon.com slash silver screen video. That's it, guys. You got anything to add? Please just don't say anything else. I have to edit out. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's wrap it up. Okay, guys. uh, Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed Brian DePoma volume one. And uh, we will see you next week at the silver screen video.